0: Roy lent me his watch this morning, just in case. Well, <laughs> uh, I first of all want to thank you for inviting us, and uh, we've really enjoyed it. And after this hour, we're going to enjoy the rest of it. And I thank, uh, I understand it was the board for the pretty flowers. Mrs. Levern brought them up this morning, and they're really pretty. I've seen a lot of pretty flowers up here. I don't know how you could live in this country and not know there's a God. Uh, I am Lily Bell, and I'm a very grateful Alanon. Hi everybody. Hi, everybody. And I feel that through God's grace, and the help of this program, and the help of a lot of people both in and out of it, that I am a little more aware of myself, uh, with respect to my relationship to my Creator. And I do live with some hope, and for this I'm grateful. And except for this, I wouldn't have any hope. And, uh, I just will try to share as openly and honestly with you as I can this morning. Uh, I grew up in a great big family, and that's a little strange since I'm my mother's only child. But I'll tell you a little more about that later. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, had a lot of fun growing up. I didn't have much materially. Uh, but I enjoyed life. I lived around, uh, a lot that did a lot of drinking. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this. And I don't know what that has to do with anything. Except you don't quit loving somebody because they, uh, drink a lot. And, uh, I, uh, went on through high school. I remember before I got in high school, I got baptized. And that was the big event in my life. And, uh, I remember it was at this, uh, Revival and this preacher was saying, uh, quoting some scripture about being in the light and the dark. And he told us all to close our eyes and, uh, then ask how we'd like to live like that the rest of our lives in the dark. And I was very afraid of the dark and scared to death. And I didn't want to, so I went up and I got baptized in the Guadalupe River where we lived. And needless to say, there was a lot of fear involved. Uh, but I enjoyed a lot of life anyway and on through high school, uh had a lot of fun and uh had a lot of honors and I think I became a pretty good people pleaser. Uh and through this uh my high school days I remember I had one blind date and uh that happened to be the fellow you heard last night. And it's the only one I ever had in my life. And uh, needless to say, we enjoyed it, and uh, things do progress, even besides alcoholism. <laughs> we ended up uh, getting married uh when I got out of high school, and he was in his third year of college. And we had some pretty good days then, and I think we had a pretty good relationship and a pretty good marriage. But I went to work, and he worked, and went through uh, law school, and we had a little boy during that time. And uh, when we graduated uh, from law school, we stayed in Austin a while and then moved out to Midland. And uh, the big opportunity came, and we went and uh, had uh, some pretty good days there. But uh, we got into this thing that he didn't show up for supper a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was driving 20 miles to his office, and so we moved. Uh, I quit my job, and he had begun making enough uh, to support all of us, so I quit my job, and we moved over to Odessa, where he was officing, and uh, I uh, thought, well, if we live that a little closer, he won't have so far to go, and maybe he can get home without getting drunk first, or maybe he'll just get home, period. Period. But, uh, it, uh, really didn't solve anything, and I'm sure I'm not telling any of you anything you don't know, but if you're married to an alcoholic and they want to drink, it doesn't matter if they office in your house, they're going to drink when they want to. But, uh, things progressed, and definitely the drinking progressed, and my reactions to it progressed very swiftly. And I began having a lot of these crazy reactions, and pretty strange, and, uh, I, uh, did an awful lot of crazy things in my reactions to this. Uh, or I could just tell you many of them. I walked around looking out the window. I got to where I felt like I was an inside out window keeper. And, uh, of course I'd walk the floor and look out and I saw two wrecks, uh, after midnight. And that wasn't bad enough. I had to run out and tell the policeman, I had seen these wrecks in case he wanted my expert testimony. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the least bit interested in what I had to say. After I told him, uh, <clears throat> I was just standing in the window in my kitchen window looking out. And, like, that's the normal thing that all wives do about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Walk around crying and looking out the window. And uh I had many other reactions, some not quite that uh uh, calm, And uh I, one time I'd scream and yell and the next time it was going to be that I would say nothing. I was just going to give him the real silent treatment. But I believe the very sickest thing to me that we got into in this vicious cycle, uh, and the thing that did more harm to me and everybody else around me, is when we got into this thing that it became my fault because he was drinking. And he was pretty good at this, at convincing me of this. And uh I was stupid enough to accept it from time to time. And this is where the real sickness got involved, when I really took over that part. And uh he kept telling me an awful lot of things that were wrong with me. And I have to admit, he was usually right, and they really were. But when these things became the excuse for his drinking, and then I accepted that, uh, it's when we really got into this sick vicious circle that goes on, and this to me is uh, the thing that somebody has to get off of in this disease of alcoholism. But uh this went on for quite a while, and I drove myself crazy trying to perfect all of these wrong things so that he would quit his drinking, and uh, I became pretty right a lot. You know, it's pretty easy to be right when you got a stumbling down drunk over here, and no matter what he does or says, it's pretty easy for the other person to be right, and I got into a thing of being used to being right, no matter what. And this whole thing consumed us, and it was a, a pretty, it was a pretty sick thing going. And uh, uh, through this time, I'd had some surgery, and we ended up adopting a little boy. Because we were wanting another child that's what we really needed. We had so much to give and so much on the ball at that time <laughs> and uh, so we uh adopted a little boy, and uh he liked the other one, and everybody else I've lived around and loved, and like I've been to them, has been much joy and much pain and uh anyway we uh we had some good times, even during those times, but uh the drinking got pretty bad and my reactions every time they had happened I would get worse with it. Maybe I'd go along pretty good for a while and he would. And sometimes I think this is worse than being in it constantly because you go along pretty good and things are going pretty good and then bang, you're back and you just go so far back that it uh, is a real shock to your nervous system. <laughs> and... uh uh after we got this little boy, he decided to build us a great big house out in the Country Club Estates, and I'll never forget that. uh And I hated that house. I didn't want to move out there, but we did. And I hated it, and I never learned to like it. But one good thing happened to me while we were there. My next-door neighbor came over one day, and uh she sat down at my kitchen table. And I like to tell this because she didn't wait for me to come over banging on her door. She just came and sat down and asked me if I didn't know that Roy was an alcoholic. And I said, well, I'd wondered a lot of things about Roy, (laughs) but I just uh, wasn't real sure. So she took me over to her house, and we sat down at her table with her husband, and they both proceeded to tell me that I, in my own way, was as sick as Roy was in his way, and that there was some help, and that this was called the Al-Anon Family Group. And I was really grateful to hear this. I was glad to hear it. Uh, and I used to say, you know, sicker than Roy or, or on like that. I don't have to say that anymore. And I really, you know, I've learned that, uh, we, we go through this thing so much we want to be a part and be like other people and be a part of things, And then we get in it and start realizing we are like other human beings in the world and we don't like that too much. We want to be a little different, you know, a little more so or a little less so, one or the other. So anymore, I just, and they did, their words were to me that I was as sick as Roy in my own way. And I was glad to hear this. I had wondered about my mind from time to time. I got into a thing uh when I was wishing that Roy were dead. And this kind of bothered me. Uh, I still had sense enough to know that this was kind of screwy thinking. When you're, you know, here's the person you love more than anybody else in the world, and you're wishing him dead. And I went at one time and talked to a minister about this. And uh, he said, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble with it since you've been able to share it. And uh, it a lot came on to me studying the fifth step once. I really never did feel that way again after I had, but he told me that he thought it was a desire to separate myself from the problem, and uh, I think he was right, and I've learned more since then. I also had absolutely no courage to do anything about anything. I just thought, well, if he died and he went on, then I could be left. The poor little old wife over there, we love to sacrifice, and, you know, you can almost see the nail scars in our hands when we're trying to and we go from this to being uh the one with such power that's going to get him sober you know because immediately when i accepted that thing you know that it was my fault that he was drinking well then i was definitely going to be the reason for him to get sober and uh it just doesn't seem to work too well that way but uh he told me that uh, he thought it was a desire to separate myself from the problem, and I really had no courage at all. I know I heard a girl talking about all the things she had done to her husband and I, and how she would slapped him around, and <laughs> I said, I was such a coward and had so little courage. I remember slapping Roy once, and he was passed out, sound asleep, <laughs> and he was... He never knew I did. He just, he never even knew it. And, uh, but I was ready to talk with him, and he wasn't. And he wasn't the least bit interested in listening to me. And, uh, I just reared back and slapped him as hard as I could. And he never ever woke up. And maybe I hit him harder than I think. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went on to my first Al anon meeting with these people and I went to the my first meeting to the 17 group in Midland and I can uh, remember I had a big black eye when I went in there and uh, they just looked at me and said come on in honey this is right where you belong <laughs> and uh, I uh I didn't even try to explain to them that night that I really got that black eye when I ran into the door and I was I had gotten up out of bed at wee hours when I heard this knock on the back door, and you know who it was, coming in drunk, and uh, I just made a beeline for that door and hit the bedroom door right in the eye, but I'm sure they would not have believed me, and I didn't even try to explain, and it didn't really matter that night, and I didn't hear an awful lot. Uh Buck was uh chairman that night, and he read some poetry, but... uh I went on to a lot of Al-Anon meetings then, and I went for a couple of years and didn't really grow an awful lot. Uh, I knew the steps were up there, but I thought, well, those are for the alcoholic, and that's fine. But I did have a good feeling of being with those people who had the same problem and just being around uh, people that shared the same problem. And uh I credit that with having kept me out of a mental hospital. <coughs> and I also took some literature home. They told me to take a big book home. They told me to take all this literature. And I said, well, Roy won't read it, but I'll take it. So I did and found out later that he did read it, but he didn't let me know he did. And uh I started hearing, I think I really started accepting this thing as a disease a little more. I heard this old man talk about uh describing it as a mental obsession coupled uh... a physical allergy coupled with the mental obsession and i couldn't buy the physical allergy too much but i sure understood that mental obsession and i think it's because i had one of my own but uh... i think i started accepting it as a disease more just by being around the people there and uh... it was a good feeling to be with them, but I went a couple of years, I guess, and then I just decided that I'd drop out of everything. I had been one of those that had joined everything from the hospital auxiliary to garden clubs to the junior league, and I was going to do a lot of good things, and oh, I hate the word do-gooder, and I became one, and uh, I taught Sunday school. I was just... Doing everything and I decided then I'd just drop out of everything. Nothing was happening right and, and I went to Al Anon and they told me what I was supposed, you know, I was going and that I needed some help. But I know I was wanting Roy sober and you know, (laughs) a while back this girl was in a meeting and she was just running herself down terribly because she was going to Al Anon to get her husband sober and, uh, Everybody else was agreeing with her, you know. and I said, "You know, I really don't think we have to worry about that so much. And it's not that big a deal, whatever reason we go, because we hang around long enough, we find out what we're there for." And uh, so I, I quit going after a while, but I, I, uh, things were not working out quite the way I wanted them to. And uh I just decided well, it was time for me to have a little fun and see how the shoe fit on the other foot, and it didn't fit very well and I did i uh as things happen, you know the wrong people can turn up at the wrong time in the wrong places, just like the right people can turn up at the right time in the right places but uh I spent about a year just very selfishly doing just uh, what I wanted to and seeing if I couldn't have a little fun. And I found myself to be just like everybody else in the world. I'm going to be doing whatever is going on in the crowd I'm with. And I had thought I could be wherever I wanted to be and just do whatever I wanted to do, regardless of what anyone else was doing. And this was not true. I was right in the middle of everything, and I found myself doing things that I thought I'd never do. And living with things I thought I'd never live with. And needless to say, we found no answers there. But, uh, along about this time, the same girl that had taken me to an Al Anon meeting, uh, told me about some studies at a church. This preacher that Roy was telling you about. And so I went with her and I heard for the first time something about God's grace as a gift. And, uh, not something that you earn. And I also heard about people, the responsibility, not only the privilege, but the responsibility of making choices in our own lives. And, uh, and that God Himself really never takes responsibility away from an individual. And who are we to try to do that? And, uh, I heard a lot of things for the first time. And for the first time, I think my thinking began to change a little. And, uh, I started releasing Roy, some. They tell us in Al-Anon about releasing and to me it's just a, you know, it's a thing where you stand off and love them and let them go through whatever they have to go through. And, uh, I, I don't see it as something where you make it any worse or any better. And we don't really have those powers available to us. But I went, uh, I, I think I started releasing some voice um, during this time, just merely out of the, the thing of having a God of my own for the first time, and uh I was surprised things didn't really get a lot better, and he didn't quit drinking. As a matter of fact, he drank more, and he told you about this particular time we came to, and uh we spent a whole week at my house. With him, it's certain I was going to that football game in California with three people in a private airplane who were going to be drinking all the time. And uh, I was as certain I was not going as he was, that I was going. And we spent a whole week of this. And for the first time, I really bucked him, and he really never changed my mind through the week. And it was just about more than he could take. And uh, I didn't go. But we had that little night of what I call harassment and a little violence going on and I ran to my next door neighbor again and uh so while he was gone I did leave. It wasn't uh too hard for me to to decide to leave and I'm a coward and I don't like those kind of things and they do scare me. And uh so I did leave and when he came uh uh well, of course, he came back from California. But then it was during this time that he seemed to get to the places he needed to go. And I hate to admit that he did that without my help and my instructions, but he did. And uh, I never will forget when I started to leave, I, my friends next door, next door, I made the decision and I decided to go. But I talked to them and they said, I think you're doing the right thing. And I talked to the, my pastor, and he said the same thing. But I said, you know, I really know that Roy needs to be in a hospital somewhere, and I hate to leave uh for somebody else to get him there. And he looked at me straight in the eye, and he said, Millie, perhaps he'll get himself there. And uh that's what I do have to admit. It was during that time he did decide to go to the hospital. And when he came back, uh, we started to a and al and on together. And uh, I got me a sponsor, and she told me to sit down and write down everything I could about that first step, and we'd go over it. And then she told me to write down everything I could about the second step, and we'd go over it, and on through. And I went through experiences that I, uh, and they're still going on, and I don't know how to explain them, but experiences that I, there's not enough money in the world to trade for. And I experienced some of that surrender that the first three steps talk about. And I never will forget going through that. Uh, and I think I gained a little faith there. Uh, I don't think you have to have this tremendous faith to go through the steps. You just do them the best way you can at the time, and that's okay. And... uh then your faith grows as you go through them. I remember one girl in a step study one night talking about the steps and she said, one minute you say do something and then one minute you say let go and she said, hey, I, just back and forth. I don't understand what you're talking about. And there's an answer in one of our books and it says that it's like a, a archer with a bow and arrow. You, uh, sometimes you pull and sometimes you let go. And that seems to be the way it goes. But I experienced some of that surrender and I know in that uh fourth and fifth step I developed a feeling and I told Pastor that I really uh was grateful for Roy Bell and Johnny Bell and Tommy Bell just exactly like they were. And I was grateful that they would tolerate a lot because all of mine were not going away, they still haven't. And uh but one of these there's an old man around home that tells a story, and uh, I, it meant a lot to me, and uh, I can accept that. He said, you know, every dog needs a few fleas, and uh, he said it's <laughs> for no other reason than just to know that he's a dog. and. Uh, <laughs> Then he said, and then also to have to scratch once in a while for your comfort. And, uh, I was able to accept that. And I realized, you know, there was something else I read that correlates with that. And this woman was just talking about all the mistakes she would make. And, uh, she said, I'm just too human. I'm just too human. And the answer that was given to her said, No, ma'am, lady, it's not the problem of being too human. He said, our problem is just being human and us being human beings and letting God be God. And I realized this is mine. And I know Roy and I got into that thing with each other that, uh, you know, all of a sudden I was going to be his God and I expected him to be mine. He became my God when he became the controller of all of my actions. And uh, this... This isn't the way a marriage is supposed to be, I've found out. That's a little bit too much to ask for an in, from an individual. And as we found our own God, we seem to have a little more to give to each other. And for this, I'm very grateful, and I think I have to thank you all for that and for the family that I do have today, even with its ups and downs. Uh, I do have one, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, a lot of good things have happened to us in the program and this weekend's one of them and we've had many like this and I never cease to be amazed and you go and you get up here and tell all this stuff and throw it out and then you feel good and I don't know how to explain that and I'm not about to. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but the people we meet and the strength it gives us when we go back home is, there isn't any way to explain that. But I'm real grateful for it. And then we've had a lot of those other times, too. And Roy told you about this older boy uh, when he took off and went to California. And the thing I remember about that, I know we said all we knew to say and did all we knew to do, and then we told him goodbye. And uh he went, and we got this long letter from him when he was out there, and this is what I remember. It was about six pages on a legal pad, and I remember one little paragraph out of it besides where he was saying he had found a job and where he was working. But he said, Dad and Mom, I just want to tell you, uh he said, I'm not going to ask you not to hate me for what I've done because I know that you don't anyway. And he said, so please don't think that that had anything to do with my coming. It was just something that I had to do. And, uh, I have always been grateful that he could go with that feeling. <clears throat> and, uh, I think I have to say thank you to you all for that. And, uh, I did not pray for him to come back home when he was out there. I really did pray and I prayed hard and I shed some tears. But, uh, I prayed for God to keep my hands out of the pie and not let me mess it up and whatever it was that he thought ought to be done to just give me the courage to accept it. And uh I learned to, to try to quit giving him directions in my prayers. But uh and I did not pray for him to come home. He did come home in a while and that was not for him and I can remember that My reaction to him when he came home was that I hugged him and said, Welcome home. And he was able to talk about a lot of things, and we were. We learned a lot through it, and he did too. And it's certainly not something you would choose to have happen or plan to happen. And I found that most of the things good that have happened to me have been like that. I don't know why, but those things that I manipulate around and plan and I'm going to get the right thing at the right time, uh don't seem to turn out quite like that when it happens it just happens and uh and most uh, a lot of times not what i would choose to happen but uh as roy told you he had gone on through school and i'm proud of him uh he's still a human being like the rest of us and i could just tell you a lot of things that could could be changed about him uh for the better but uh he could do the same to me, I'm sure. Uh, but we do enjoy him and certainly enjoy that little grandson. And another thing happened to me in, uh, at Brownwood, and this is how these things seem to happen. Uh, I was sitting down there just listening to a couple of speakers, and one of them was this beautiful, lovely lady. And I've never seen such a gracious, lovely lady, and I was sitting there uh, awed by her, and she said, you know, I've never told this before in a meeting, but she said, I got pregnant, and then I got married, and uh, I I thought, well, you know, that's what happened to my mother, and uh, I had uh, known about it, and she had told me about it, but I just really had never been able to Talk about it a lot as far as what had happened to her. And then a fella named Johnny got up to talk and he went on about all these things and, uh, he talked about, uh, he kind of gets to you right down here, or he did to me that day. And, uh, I certainly didn't expect it and I just kind of broke up uh, and he was talking about heavenly fathers and earthly fathers and, uh, I just kind of broke up, and all this stuff just came up. And I ran up and said something to him afterwards, and if I could even remember exactly, I don't think I'd tell you, because it was just kind of one of those times. But I thought I'd better tell Roy what I'd done on the way home, and uh, he had invited Johnny down there to talk, and he said, well, I don't think you embarrassed him too much or anybody else, because he just said, you know, why don't you come out and see us sometime and bring your little wife with you. He said, so I don't think you embarrassed him too much. But then after I got home, I thought, well, I'd better tell, sit down and talk to somebody about this. So I sat down and talked to the pastor about it and uh, what had happened with my mother. And uh, I had been able to, uh, when she first told me, my first reaction was, you know, thank God that she kept me, and it was like it was. But she had uh, gone to a home to have me, and uh, after she had gotten there, she... Found out that you didn't take your babies home, whether you wanted to or not. And so she got a message out and, uh, for them to come and get her, and she did get out. She sent a message out with the laundry man. And, uh, so she told, uh, and she had told me about this when we adopted our younger son. And my first reaction was, you know, well, thank God you did keep me because I could not imagine life without the family I had. And they were a family. I never dreamed of doing anything bad enough that they wouldn't love me. And uh, I have done them, and they do still love me, and I'm grateful for that. But I couldn't imagine life without them. Uh, and, of course, we're on the other side of that thing with this younger because I can't imagine life without him either, even though it would be nice to try once in a while. <laughs> and... uh so uh, I did get this up, and it was a good feeling, but I went home and talked to Pastor about it, and he said, I think maybe you went through a little siege of fear there, and uh fear certainly had something to do with it, and he said kind of a fear when something happens, and you're not afraid, and then after it's over, and you realize what could have happened, then you are afraid. But I like to think, too, that I had grown a little bit because my first reaction was, you know, for me. Uh, thank God she did keep me, and I uh, uh could not imagine life without him. But then my second thoughts, which I hope were a little more mature and a little more gracious, uh, were that uh what had happened with her and how hard that must have been for her. But uh Chuck, I want to tell you, when I... I did tell her what you asked me to tell her. And her reaction to this was, uh, well, I always have said, and I still do, that that's the best mistake I've ever made. And, uh, <laughs> so I feel real grateful, and that's a pretty good mother to have. But, uh, a lot of things have happened, and it was a good thing to get that, that up. And then not long after that, we talked about adoption. And, uh, we went, uh, Roy helped us. And it took a while, and whether you're, no matter who you are, you have to wait on lawyers and judges. And I had to wait, and, uh, it took a while, but at the age of about 40, I got legally adopted. And, uh, after it was over, I told my mother and dad that I was really, uh, I appreciated it, and it was nice. And I was grateful, but it meant nothing at all compared to the days that every day, day in, day out living, and that's what I've been grateful for in Al-Anon, that one day at a time business, because always, I hadn't had too much trouble with things that had happened that much, it was what was going to happen, but to take life one day at a time, and I, I realized so much, uh, that's what makes relationships. So one day, one day at a time, uh, grind day in and day out. And that piece of paper meant nothing compared to those days. And uh I uh, have been real grateful for it and it meant a lot to me. I we've had this other situation with our younger son and I guess one of my latest Al Anon experiences, uh was uh, the evening he came home with Roy. And uh, I didn't say too much to him. His dad had already said quite a bit, which I'm grateful for. And I thank God for having Roy to say something to him because my word doesn't mean too much to him right now. But uh, he came in and uh we all sat down and we shed a few tears, but I haven't had to go totally to pieces over it. Uh, I hope he learns something through it. He seems to be one that's going to have to learn the hard way some things, and he doesn't always <laughs> listen to what we say. But uh I was able not to say too much, and I, I heard him talking to a friend of his, and he said, My dad told me that, he said, boy, he had two distinct feelings. And one of them was to just literally beat the hell out of me. <laughs> and the other one was, uh, to break down and cry. And he said, luckily, he cried. <laughs> so we all had a little cry. But I went in that night and I told him that I wanted him to, I had, I had said a few words to him about some of the friends he was with and I, being pretty bad news. And I said, right now, you're pretty bad news. And, uh, then I went in that night and I said, I just, want you to remember, John, that we do love you very much. And he had this big old frown on his face, and he said, yeah, sure you do. And he said, you love me so much. Is that why Dad's taking my van away and selling it? (laughs) And this has needed to be done for quite a while. And I I turned around, and then I turned back, and I said, yeah, John, it really does. And uh, I said, it is because we love you. And uh, I said, and it's tough, and it's tough on all of us. But I've learned to appreciate some of the sufferings and certainly as Roy quoted his favorite scripture last night, uh, that seems to be the way we learn and the way we grow from time to time. And I've learned to appreciate them. And I don't have to hate that little kid, that little kid, 250. Uh, I bought him some shirts yesterday, extra large. But, uh, I, can love him and, uh, I can, I hurt. I'm not going to tell you that I don't do that with him some. But, uh, I can love him my, not because of my goodness or his, but because somebody's loved me. And because of God's goodness. And, uh, we talk about, I, and I know, I believe as strongly as anything that it's only through God's grace that anybody or anything any of us is made okay. And uh, we talk about God's grace, and through God's grace things happen. And uh, I think we can come to experience God's grace in many ways, uh, sometimes through some study, sometimes through experiences, and I'm certain that you can experience it And through the 12 steps of this program. Uh, if you don't experience some of that forgiveness and grace, through those steps, I don't know, I just don't know how one would get through them. It'll either crack you up or you'll experience some of the forgiveness. And uh I like to say, you know, I don't have to be that power anymore that goes around trying to make everything all right. I do know, and I believe what the big book says, there's only one that has all power, and that one is God. And I thank you for listening today. And thank you for your love. On behalf of the Board of Trustees of Blackstone Millie, along with all of our love, and a certainly a big thank you. We want to present you with this little token.